Welcome to the Movement Podcast. This show is all about movement. We tackle it from different angles, bring on guests, answer questions, go on a few tangents, and give practical advice, giving you guys a better idea of how you can optimize the human body to be the best it can be. Let's preview what's coming up in this episode. From wearable devices to the scale in your bathroom, there are a ton of tech choices in the fitness world these days. But as we continue to track ourselves more, is there such a thing as too much data? We explore that idea on today's episode. Gray and Lee discuss how devices can motivate us and also overwhelm and possibly shame us, which metrics to focus on, the importance of how we consume our data, and what our devices don't tell us. So let's get going with today's Movement Podcast, powered by FMS. So, Gray, is there anything right now that you use to uh, track your quote-unquote fitness? I wear a Garmin GPS watch that has You a, wear a GPS just to make sure everybody can track, track. Let's track Gray, not his fitness. I use this thing to find my phone more than I do it to find my heart rate. I pretty much know when my heart rate's too high, and I know what my resting heart rate is, and it tells me- Yeah, I don't, I, I don't need a fit, anything fitness to know your heart rate either. <laughs> That's right. And I mean, if I go paddleboarding for a long ways and I happen to die, this thing's got like a seven-day battery, so I think they'll be able to locate me. But yeah, that's- it's it's uh, it's neat to check myself, and I wake up and think I had a pretty good night's sleep, and it's neat to have the confirmation. But I never ask my watch if I'm fit or got to have a good night's sleep. I should probably be in touch with that. Yeah, I think right now that's part part of the problem. Well, I should say part of the problem. It's good and bad. I mean, you could we could argue both sides, and we'll let's do it right now. Is you know you getting there's so much opportunity to collect data mm-hmm. on yourself mm-hmm. and on others. I mean, that's a good thing. And how do you see that as a good thing? I mean, you get, there's so much data. I mean, you just mentioned you, you wear the watch. I mean, you could pull out your iPhone and collect, you could do a Fitbit. There's just all kinds of devices that you can track what you're doing from your location to your kids, to your heart rate, to your sleep. Is that a good thing? It depends on how you use it. We came from a culture that didn't have a lot of data-driven feedback in our physical life. Basically, if you were the fastest kid in school, the only way you knew that was on race day, (laughs) right? Otherwise, it was just an assumption. A lot of people track a lot of fitness data right now, but the problem is nobody takes that information and reassembles it so you know what to work on. And we say this all the time, the weakest link of the chain determines the strength of the chain. And if your device helps you to your weakest link, that's fine. But we've got a thing right here. In 2016, female Fitbit users, 60% of them felt controlled by their device. So this is not a wearable to shame you. This is a wearable to to actually elevate your awareness over your weakest link. The problem is, if it sends you back seven red flags— then you get paralysis by analysis and don't know what to fix first. And it's really easy to stick your head in the sand and think the threat went away. And, and, and what, I, what I try to say is if we could take all this and show you, and this is your action point. And you and I created 
a self-awareness device. It's called the functional movement screen. And a lot of people were functionally training, and then they went through a functional movement screen and found out they had five dysfunctions. But I've been functionally training for two years. Yeah, you just I mean, got it a little bit wrong. That's all. Yeah, and I think one thing you said there is important when we're, when we're you know speaking to the individuals out there, you know, trying to you know wade through all this minutia of which one to buy. You know, if you can just figure out even yourself, what do I really need to focus on? Do I need to? Do I feel like I'm getting enough sleep? Do I feel like I'm overstressed? Maybe just get a device that monitors that first. Maybe just monitor your sleep. I mean, you can monitor your sleep by simply writing down what time you go to sleep, how many times you get up at night, and just follow that with a piece of paper, not a not anything fancy. So to me, that's one thing that you just said that that I think is important is first determine yourself what you really think and just think. Let's not overcomplicate this that you need to focus on. Is my diet where it needs to be? Am I drinking too much alcohol? Am I working too many hours? Am I overstressed? And maybe try to get something that can help you monitor that before you go dive in and buy something that's going to monitor everything. That's that's absolutely true. Or consume that data with a little bit more wisdom than intelligence. Intelligence would say, I got to fix all these things by next week. We're going to the beach. I want to look thinner. <laughs> it's like, all this. no, it's way too much pressure. However, let me say this. I think I'm speaking to both everybody in this room and everybody listening to us right now. When your energy level is crashed, it is the American way to consume something to up your energy level, whether that be caffeine or nicotine or, or an energy drink or a bunch of B vitamins or something. But believe it or not, if you sleep better and stay well hydrated, you will have a spike in your energy level. If you try to eat your way into a better energy level, you may miss the step because what do people who start intermittent fasting say? I'm eating less food and I have a higher energy level. So believe it or not, the two things you could do more of that help your energy level are sleep and proper hydration. The one thing you can do less of and probably elevate your energy level, unless you already have a great diet and good portion control and good, is eat less. So the those are three things right now that'll improve your energy level. And if you're eating less, you will make better food decisions because pack of M&Ms or an avocado on some toast. I mean, we yeah, could go yeah, each way, same you, how, do you, how does a person really determine and understand that? Is, the, is really maybe the question. How, how do they understand? How do we, um, as individuals, understand that's what I really need to be doing? Well, I mean, it sounds simple, but again, if we're talking about technology and devices, it, are there things that help us determine that issue? Well, if the device is giving you a bunch of feedback and you do three things that won't cost you a dime, drink water every time you're thirsty and nothing else, sleep better and do things to help you sleep better and eat a little bit less for a week, look at your watch and see what it says. Right. What's that, getting that better? To me, that's what's important, I think, is what, what you're really getting to is the, the watch or the device technology is going to give you 30 different things you need to work on potentially. You know, monitor those and try to do, and you just pull stuff out of the hat. Start at the most basic and see how many of those things are actually 
changed in a positive way. Now, there is one thing that I've been aware of for a long time, and, and we were using it in pro athletics called the Omega Wave, and it was taking a bunch of these different signals from the body and putting together a thing. And one of the things that came out of that was a thing called heart rate variability. And it doesn't just mean how fast your heart is beating, is it says, is your heart beating in a consistent, steady rate, or is it sort of playing jazz? It's all over the place, but still 60, 70 beats per minute. Is that kind of the fight or flight, parasympathetic, sympathetic? What it means is you're balanced. You have parasympathetic means that I'm sort of resting and digesting, and sympathetic means I'm in fight or flight. Neither is good to be stuck in all the time, and the ability to quickly change is something good neurological systems do. So we can actually follow the rhythm and cadence of your heart and find out if you're balanced. What we've used in pro athletics is that's- I'll give you an example of that. Balanced is right now, if I had to, you know- uh, eat a meal or rest and digest, I could easily downregulate. But if something bad happened, I could upregulate and be close to where I need to be. And we watch certain signals like heart rate variability for state of readiness. It's very important to strength coaches right now because no matter what your workout looks like and no matter what you say you feel, we're going to look at your state of readiness in a way that has no placebo effect. And I think I'm correct in saying heart rate variability corrected, collected correctly doesn't have a placebo effect. If it's better and more balanced, you're doing something right. So what I would say is uh, the two devices right now that I think are on our radar for doing at least an algorithm or extrapolation of heart rate variability are the, the um, Aura Ring and the Whoop Band. And it's not, it's not either or. It's if these things collect a bunch of different information on your sleep and activity, but over a week we see your heart rate variability improve favorably, you're doing something right. And that's where I like that when we take it down to one thing and what we do on the movement screen, we take it to your most primal, worst movement pattern. If that gets better, some other things well, got better what too. Do, what do we also see when you when you look at that? And, and even taking away from the movement screen, you get down and you want to do a stretch. As soon as you start thinking about that, thinking about the stretch, you're not even doing it. Your heart rate is going to do what? Oh, it, it, believe it or not, we saw that. We were watching heart rate variability on some people in the movement screen one time. They're, they didn't go sympathetic. They didn't get emotionally stressed doing the movement pattern. They got emotionally stressed watching the person in front of them do a lunge that even though they consciously thought they could do, their subconscious mind like, yeah, he can't do that shit. <laughs> and they had a stress response watching somebody else do what they were getting ready to do. And that response, Gray, is not, their heart rate's going to change. But what are else in the system is going to be screwed up. They're going to tense up. They're going to, again, it's fight or flight. They're going to start getting just emotionally, lack of a better word, wrecked and prepared for something that should be easy. And that's one thing that we've been talking about a lot and you've been really hitting people on is relax, breathe through it. Because really what you're trying to do is do what? You're trying to manipulate the heart rate variability or the sympathetic and just relax into it. Early in my career, I got pulled into a lot of pro tennis and uh, William Sisters, Andy Roddick and stuff like that were under a contract with Reebok and I was under contract with Reebok. So we met. Okay. Um, I take no responsibility for their career. They were, they were great when I met them. They were great when I, <laughs> when I left. But when a pro tennis player. Nobody really thought you did. Anyway, I know. So. And it's good just to make that clear. When a pro tennis player uh, takes time between serves they have a fault or something like that and they are adjusting their strings on the racket no 
they're down regulating their stress. They're they're cycling a breath. They're doing whatever they got to do to get back to the state of readiness that they had when they made the first serve. And something not good happened with that first serve. So they're going to second serve, just like free throws in the NBA. People will go through a ritual cadence to downregulate. And if it's not working for them, the very first thing we'll do is try to give them an alternative ritual cadence to go through. But it's basically so we can reset the mechanism and pro athletes do that well. You watch Tom Brady get sacked and then 10 seconds later, it's like it didn't even occur. I'd be butthurt and angry for a month if I was trying to get off a, you know, a very important pass and somebody got up in my face and knocked me down. But how do they do that? You know, how does a, how does a rodeo guy <laughs> hold on for eight seconds and then get horribly injured and jump up and sprint? They just These are people that own their state of readiness even when something upsetting happens. And that's at the highest, highest, highest level. So when we're you know, kind of getting back to this whole technology conversation we're having. So it really is about trying to, you know, weed through the minutia, really try to find out those one or two things. And what I'm hearing you say is heart rate variability is really, really important. That's an easy one for us to monitor. All this other data is important, but we can't get overwhelmed by all the data that we just, it's just, again, we're drinking from a fire hose when it's really one or two things that we really need to be looking at initially. Once we initially clean up those things, let's then go back and look and see what all the other things that we can look at have been cleaned up by that one thing that we're now monitoring a little bit closer and trying to be a little bit more effective at correcting because a lot of other stuff's going to be cleaned up at that point. If you go on the internet and look at the top five or top 10 natural immunity boosters, okay, and that's important right now in this climate, they are also the behaviors that aren't consistently done by people who are overweight and obese. So when we look at the actuarial tables and insurance, and it's way easier to get really good health information from insurance companies. No, insurance companies have the best data. Totally. As a matter of fact, I think the, probably the most important data they don't share with us until they learn how to profit from it first. And, and if I were in the business just to treat human lives that way, it'd probably be a smart thing to do. But we took a different path. My point is, when you look at the, the earlier deaths of people who are obese, it's not the obesity. It's the behaviors that lead to obesity. So you can't attack obesity directly because it's a multifactorial thing. Sure. When you live a toxic lifestyle... It's better to be a little bit bigger because you can distribute that toxicity over more tissue in a bigger capillary bit. And, and, and unfortunately, if you respond to a toxic lifestyle with being overweight, that insulin sensitivity doesn't hit you as hard. But if we look at the behaviors that lead to being overweight, we look at it another way. Hippocrates, the, the physician that said do no harm, looked at this and called it an overeating syndrome. But the flip side of that coin is an underactivity syndrome. They're, they're together, meaning you're consuming way more than is needed to do what you're doing. So do more or consume less. And in a comfortable society, nobody's issued that message in 50 years. It's do what feels comfortable. We'll hack your way back into health. We're smart so enough and scientific enough. So technology to do that? I mean, how much, how much do we need to be looking at? Because again, you know, right now, more is better. More is better. That's why, that's why, you know, all these technology companies are coming out with something you can wear on your wrist that monitors anything and everything. And I think that's part of the problem. Marketers will tell you more is better because they're trying to sell stuff. But the funny thing is, if, if you do enough of those 
behavior modifications that both boost your immunity and probably line you up with natural leanness, not synthetic leanness forced by diets you can't stick to or exercise programs you don't even enjoy. If, if you will basically just watch one number like heart rate variability or Lee, if you can't squat, if we simply just watch that movement pattern get better, a lot more is getting better for that to become unburdened. And, and that's it. So, you know, the data is not hurting anything, but let smart people consolidate the data and tell you where your weakest link is. Because if you're not working on your weakest link, you're not working on anything. You really aren't. Right. And one thing that, that one of the stats you mentioned earlier is that people are getting so overwhelmed by the data that it's adversely affecting what they do. They can't get it out of their heads. It's like, it's like going to the gym and having someone scream and yell at you for an hour. Is that, you know, you're working throughout the day and you get constantly looking at your watch, constantly looking at all the data, what's going on, what's going on. And it's actually hurting you more than it's helping you. And you could watch C-SPAN right now and watch some of the debates that go on in Congress and say, oh my God, the world's going to end. We're the dumbest country in the world. Or just don't watch C-SPAN because most of that stuff is going to get fleshed out in the end. And hopefully intelligence and wisdom will prevail. But if you watch all the arguments that your Fitbit is having and all the data, it's just like watching Congress trying to find some intelligence. On the back end of the argument, you might see some. On the front end of the argument, you just see humanity being stupid and thinking that everything on your watch is something you can manage today is is probably a burden you don't need to carry. And I think one of the things that we've been touching on, and we really haven't dove deep into it, and I think it's an opportunity now, is it is more intrinsic factors that really keep you motivated. And sometimes this data gets in the way of you really getting that self-awareness and those intrinsic things that really need to motivate you rather than watching all the gauges and dials. Find an activity you like to do, carve out time to do it, drink a little bit of water, sleep better, and do that thing for about six weeks and everything on your watch will start getting better. We want to take a quick moment to thank you for listening to the Movement Podcast. And to show our appreciation, we'd like to offer you a special promotion. By using the code POD20, you'll receive 20% off our upcoming FMS 1 and 2 virtual course bundle. To be clear, by bundling the FMS 1 and 2 virtual courses, you save $199, but we are giving you an exclusive additional 20% off that total. We're excited about this special event with FMS Foundation. Lee Burton and FMS instructor Eric Degatti on November 6th and 7th. They will be teaching the FMS 1 and 2 live and taking your questions. So to get started on your FMS journey, register at functionalmovement.com slash events and use code POD20 to save that extra 20%. So now back to the episode. So all this technology has given us great insight into where we need to start. I mean, if you're using it right, Gray, it, it should tell you this is something you need to focus on. But one thing it doesn't is it doesn't tell you how to do it. No, <laughs> that's part of that is part of the problem. It's going to do be a great job. You get objective information telling you, wow, you're not. You're, this is a problem for you. How you fix it many times can actually exacerbate the problem but may not be tapping on what the underlying issue is. I think uh, Phil Plisky came on the internet and pretty much made that same announcement with a bunch of soldiers in the military going through physical therapy and maybe getting their current crisis somewhat managed, not solved, but managed. But the risk factors that they went into physical therapy with and exited with 
remain the same. If you went to the dentist, he's going to check all your teeth, tell you to floss, and try to do everything they can possibly do, not only to manage your root canal, but also manage your future risk factors by giving a you a canal. bunch of information. All right? Yeah. You will. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so what I'm saying is the responsibility to look at the risk factors has never been something that athletic trainers, physical therapists, and chiropractors realize. We basically treated what's in front of us. If we don't catch these physical risk factors of physical decline on every opportunity that you see us with your next ailment or injury and think your only problem is that ailment or injury, no. You're just on a downward spiral of becoming less physically aware. Your balance is eroding. Your flexibility is eroding. You're losing movement patterns and physical capacity. And you're going to do a cardiovascular stress test one day, and they're going to tell you you got a bad heart. What if you did that cardiovascular stress test with a limp? You're inefficiently moving, taxing your heart because you don't even have grease on your wheels. And so how many times have we made a metabolic issue out of something that was actually a musculoskeletal burden that was making the heart work harder on the same walk that should be making the heart better? Well, it's still, it's, again, it's still doing what we, what we feel like everyone needs to be doing, and that's filtering through all this information and finding out what is the area where we need to start. Now, where we start, we then have to go back and get the feedback that we've been talking about. Get the feedback on how we ad- how we adjust whatever wherever we're starting. When I say adjust, it could be you know whatever lifestyle. It could be I'm improving my ankle mobility. Whatever it is, then go back and determine. Use the data. Use the technology that we have access to to see if it helped. You mentioned heart rate variability. Did me doing my swings, doing my carries improve better this week because I focused on income mobility last week. Yes. And and most people have never looked at movement that way. And when we started looking at movement that way, movement pat us on the back and say, yeah, you finally got it. You finally got that, that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, but never does it allow one of those parts to be substandard and expect that whole to elegantly occur. But there's always going to be something that we've got to focus on. So if we take that that situation, using me as the example, worked on my ankle mobility this week, really got it feeling better. I was moving better. My carries, swings got better this week. I still need to use the technology to figure out, all right, that's all better. Now I'm going to be training at a higher level. What else do I need to work on? Exactly. It's, still going to, it's still a useful tool, but now I don't need to work on ankle mobility as much. I may need to work on more swing technique. Exactly, exactly. Now we can actually make the skill the the spotlight. And too many people go into a throwing, striking, kicking, running skill without actually having the fertile physical soil, the general physical preparedness to, to even consume that, that skill thing. So, you know, two things when you're trying to grow something, you get the soil ready and you plant the right seed. We get way too focused on the seeds that marketing and fitness give us, and we don't get our soil ready. So if you show up with crashed heart rate variability, dehydrated, sleep deprived, and very unaware of your own balance and mobility and stability. And your back hurts. And your back hurts. <laughs> and you think that training your core is going to, uh, you know, help your back. Yeah. You're just going to make your abs tired. And it is the, it is the chicken or the egg. Cause you can make the argument, your backs, your back is what's your, your pain in your back is driving all these other things, right? Or some of these other things is driving your, your back again, start with the most fundamental thing. And, and so, yes, I've seen a lot of people where I know the source of their back pain is an unbelievably weak core. 
it doesn't mean we do planks today. You know, you know, it, it, it means that now that I recognize that you've got an imbalance and you've got to compensate for that imbalance until I give that thing back to you, I already know we're going to have to make your abs stronger, but I'm also wise enough and have enough experience to know that's for three weeks from now when I get you sleeping better and out of pain and get you balancing on either foot equally. Now I know your core can handle the stress to grow because any other stress I throw at your core is going to shut it down quicker and you're going to compensate earlier. And you can monitor that through technology if you know what you're looking for and not trying to look at everything coming at you. I think I, 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 I'm not trying to throw a professional under the bus, but I think that's one of the biggest things that I could criticize the current trend in sports science of. They collect data on everything and then put it in the hopper and hope AI tells them how to do their job better. And I tell you what, the people that work in sports that call balls and strikes and fouls and outs and stuff like that, they got to make a binary decision. It's yes or no. And I know a true professional when they can take 30 different data points and say, yes, we're working on this, and no, we're not working on anything else, but you better believe I'm watching it. And there's only, and when you line up a bunch of dominoes, only one of those dominoes will knock all the others down. And I'm very obsessive on doing that because it's easy to think all those dominoes are equal. One of those dominoes creates an effect. The rest of them are just standing there in line. And that's resourcefulness. Because basically, you're focused on the one thing that's going to have the biggest impact. And I think that's the other thing that's lost in a lot of what we, we always try to gravitate to and talk about, is if we can find the one thing, it's going to have so much of a positive impact on everything else, that now we don't need to work or worry about everything else. It's all taken care of because we got that one thing on the right track. And you are singly responsible for that resourcefulness, because you've got two things. You need me to be right, and you're not going to spend any money. Right, pretty much. Right. So, so your job is to captain this my ship. My job is to, my job is to make sure that you understand you're not always right. <laughs> I pick the direction of the ship, and you get to tell us if it's going to sink or not. Right? <laughs> pretty so, much. No, seriously. Going, growing up the way we did, being in the first clinic together, the way we were, having very limited budget, but the burden to want to do a better job anyway gave us an excuse not to make our resources responsible for our outcomes. Right, and I think too many people they want to do they want to. They want to impress. They want to take the knowledge and really impress. They want to learn all this stuff. They want to take the Fitbit and, and all these technology and all these devices and tackle it all. And they don't need to do that because that's a waste of time in many cases. It is. It is. You know, what's funny, Gray, uh, Sally, my wife, you know that, um, you know, every so often, right before she gets in bed at night, she'll, uh, she'll get back up and say, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't meet my step goal today. And she'll start standing up and doing jumping jacks or walking around the room and then get back down and, and, uh, get, get ready for bed at that point. And, you know, she's monitoring, you know, she's looking at all this technology herself and, and trying to realize that, okay, I didn't do this or that. And I would argue at that point, that might be doing more harm than good if she's getting up and she's stressed out. And I think some of the data, some of the research that's even out there now is even saying that, saying that, okay, I didn't meet my goal, so I've got to now, i got to do five more steps. And as soon as you make that, as soon as you jump to that point, you've gone over the edge. Going back to heart rate variability, I'm like, oh my God, I got to do this. So now you're stressed out, now this, and now that. And it just becomes, it becomes a detriment to your health and fitness than anything else. A, a, a researcher who spent a long time studying shame and guilt is now a very, very vocal person from TED Talks to books, Brene Brown. She studied as a researcher shame and guilt. 
and realize that it is one of the worst ways to motivate people. And so we're not saying that Fitbit or any other device intended to shame or guilt you into a more active life. It's simply they're giving you as objective feedback. If you consume it as a burden, everything seems like homework and I couldn't wait to get out of school to get done with that because so much of it didn't make me smarter. It just made me waste more time. And so everybody learns differently. But if your drive is to avoid shame and guilt, you'll always figure out a way other than the path it's guiding you to to do it. So you shouldn't feel shameful. I mean, I get my extra 10 steps a night when at 11 o'clock I need some more potato chips. They're, <laughs> yeah, I get five to the kitchen. You know, so, but the funny thing is, if, if my body comp is where it needs to be, my energy level where it needs to be, the whole point I try to live a pretty good and organic life is so I can cheat when I want. <laughs> well, and you, I mean, to what I'm, what I'm kind of hearing you say is like, the, the Fitbits, the, 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 all this objective data that we're collecting, there's nothing wrong with it at all. You just have to use it as a, as a way of feedback, is what you said, to determine, are you doing what you need to do? And is it confirming what you should already know? You should know whether you feel good today or not. I, you know, and that's, that's really good because you and I have both been able to work with athletes and general public that are very self-aware and that aren't self-aware. And if, if the technology helps you become more self-aware, when I first put on my Garmin watch, it was telling me if I'd done my steps for the day. The first month I had it, I always exceeded my steps. Today. I'm wondering, why, why is the bar so low on my watch? I'm just walking around doing farm work and stuff like this. I'm not even jogging anymore. But I was covering my body naturally. After being on the phone for three hours, I needed to be doing something not on the phone for two hours. And, and it was still productive. It was still work. But you know, it, it naturally happened because if I'm not active enough, everybody hates me, right? Because I got to, <laughs> I got to burn it off somehow. So you, I was already self-aware of that. The, the watch simply confirmed it. If the watch is educating you, just realize the, the extra data that none of our ancestors ever had access to is like training wheels. Bicycles were invented before training wheels and people learned to bike. They just had a few accidents on that on that way. But don't think your kid with training wheels is a cyclist or knows anything about balance. They're simply getting to feel like a cyclist before they are one. And if you can never take off the training wheels and ride, it's like never being able to exercise without your data. And that's, that's sad, man. That's just sad. We have, we have all this information at our fingertips. Again, we keep kind of, we keep hitting on this is it's how you use it. So all this information is great, but one, you can't be consumed with it every day. You have to let it, you know, again, like you just said, and I said, confirm, you know, how you're doing, but don't just get overwhelmed with it. Let it help you. Exactly. And, and positive responses before positive adaptations make little, little changes where it's easy. It's, it's easy to protect yourself from something. It's very hard to correct something. It's even harder to develop something. But we all know right now, you and I both know, there's four behaviors you could do less of and feel better and look better and show up better. Me personally? Yeah. I don't have that many. Yeah, you I don't do. have that many bad behaviors. Oh, I, I could count eight, but I'm only willing to disclose four <laughs> in a public forum. <laughs> no, seriously, I think we can all do that. I, I still struggle with, with uh, sleep. 
it, it takes my brain about two hours to amp down. And the stupider show I watch, the dumber I get so I can sleep. But if otherwise, I'll just leave the brain on all night and I don't get good sleep. You know, so and you know that. I mean, you you are self aware of that. And I think you know if if you started, I would imagine that if you just looked at your watch and looked at whatever technology you want to look at, and then it was monitoring your sleep every day, it would to a degree may stress you out, and it'd be more harm than good. So it may be that okay, this is monitoring for a, a short period of time to determine set that baseline. Mm-hmm. Set the baseline over a few days, right, Gray? Set the baseline and whatever. Let's talk. Use you set your sleep baseline, then turn it off. And just realize you need to get better sleep and then go back a few weeks later and monitor it again. Because if you're looking at that thing every day, it's just like getting on the scale every day. You get on the scale every day and you're trying to lose weight, that's probably the worst thing you can do. Yep. A watched pot never boils. <laughs> it's like, you know, you know what you're supposed to do. Now stick with it. And, and, and I think people want to look at their device and get that little rah-rah cheerleading thing. That's not, that's not what the device does. It's cold, it's objective, and it's basic. You need to find that rah-rah. And that's why, that's why I keep saying, find activities that nobody has to distract you from. It was really weird. I've always had to wear music while I'm running, but I decided to start doing a different way of heart rate training and start jogging uh, last year just as my summer activity. And I said, I'm going to do it without music. And I really, for the first time in my life, got into the cadence and breath and scenery. I was on, I was on the river walk, you know, and, and, and just actually ran for the sheer purpose of running. And the funny thing was, it was the slowest run I'd ever been on and one of the longest continuous runs I'd ever been on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been running at a heart rate level that's not sustainable or enjoyable. If I downregulate into a lower cardio, cardiovascular package, my ego says, oh my gosh, this is as slow as you've ever run. And yet I actually can't wait to run tomorrow without music. What the hell's that all about? Most of us distract ourselves from the activities you don't want to do. Well, find one you want to do. I, when I got my neck surgery, my balance was way off. I could either go to the clinic and hobble around on a balance beam or just jump on a paddleboard and fall off a lot until I got my balance back. I was way more engaged to work on my balance in the scenery of the lake than I was to stand up in a clinic and have people ask me questions about their balance when I don't even have any. You know, So it's you know, pick, pick something that will motivate you and then let the metrics run in the background and then clean those up on a monthly basis. Let them run in the background yeah. to keep the key thing, but check them periodically and don't get overwhelmed with them. Right. You don't, you don't enjoy a trip if you're looking at the dashboard. You look out the windshield and like the scenery and check the dashboard periodically. That'll do it for this episode of the Movement Podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe, share, and review. If you want to learn more about our system and take the next step in your movement journey, visit us at movementpod.com. Until next time, remember to first move well, then move often.